2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. And I'm reading from the New International Version. And the title of this morning's message is A New Perspective on Suffering. A New Perspective on Suffering. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. What he's saying to the Corinthians, and one of the things that we've seen is, they've questioned up until this point his ministerial credentials. Is this guy really an apostle? You can't come back and preach in our church unless you have a letter of recommendation. Meanwhile, he's the guy who actually started this church. So these folks were very rich, very opulent uh, people. Uh, Corinth was the Las Vegas of its day. It was a huge city population. And so one of the things that they want to see, they want to see the wealthy, the rich, the famous preacher come and preach to them. So the Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, no. You got the kingdom wrong. He's saying, rather, we as servants of God, this is what a servant of God looks like. We commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. I want you to know that no matter what you are going through in this moment, if you have Jesus Christ, you have it all, whether in good report or bad report, (laughs) whether through glory or through moments of dishonor, whether we are verbally beaten down, we're saying, hey, we're not yet, we're not yet killed, we're not yet defeated. Jesus has the final say. Now, life ought to come with a lot of side effects, right? They should put a tag on every newborn baby when it comes into the world and it's saying, life can be filled with fun, adventure, excitement, and joy. And the side effect is there'll be illness, abuse, broken relationships, betrayal, sorrow, loss, injuries, disappointment, heartache, crime, and perhaps death. But Jesus actually does give us a warning sign. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, that in this life, there would be trouble. But why? Why these side effects? Why suffering? Why do we have to endure evil? Why do we have to endure pain? Now, you're not the first person to ask the question, why? The question, why, goes back thousands of years. In fact, in the Old Testament, it is asked by Job. It is asked by the writers of the Psalms. And it is especially relevant to our day and age. For some of you, you've witnessed World War, the Holocaust, famines in Africa, 
the killing fields of Cambodia, the emergence of AIDS, the genocide in Rwanda, the ethnic cleansing of Kosovo, the attacks of September 11th, and now in light of this global health pandemic, we ask, why all of this if there is a loving and powerful God? Why do bad things happen to good people? If you've never asked why our world is infected with pain, suffering, and evil, you will ask the question when it strikes you. And I really wish that I could stand this morning in the shoes of God and completely answer all of your questions, but I can. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, on this side of heaven, we only see things dimly because we can't understand everything from our finite perspective and yet this is equally important there are some things that we can understand about suffering we may not be able to understand all the peripheral details of why they may be obscured from our view but there are some key biblical truths that can change the way we think about suffering and if we allow those lights they will lead us in the right direction and I believe they'll lead us towards some conclusions that will satisfy our soul. So what are those shifts that need to happen in our perspective? The first shift is this. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. This answers the question that you hear so often. Why didn't God merely create a world where suffering and evil didn't exist? And the answer to that question is he did. He did create a peaceful world. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God says after he created all things, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. But if God is not the author of pain, evil, or death, then where did it come from? Well, God decided to give human beings free will, which is necessary if we're able to express love to God and love towards each other. Unfortunately, we humans have abused our free will by rejecting God and walking away from him. And that has resulted in the introduction of two kinds of evils into our world, moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil is the immorality and pain and suffering that comes when we as human beings choose to be selfish, arrogant, uncaring, hateful, and abusive. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now some have estimated that 95% of the world's suffering results from sin, from the sin of ourselves or of others. I'll give you an example. People look at a famine and wonder, where is God in the midst of starving children and families? But the world produces enough food for each person in the world to have 3,000 calories a day. It is our own irresponsibility and self-centeredness that prevents people from getting fed. In other words, look at your hand. You can choose to use that hand, hold a gun, and shoot someone. 
or you can use it to feed hungry people. It's your choice, but it's unfair to shoot someone and then blame God for the existence of evil and suffering. I don't know if you've ever seen that cartoon. It's an old cartoon. It says, we have seen the enemy and he is us. The second kind of evil is natural evil. These are things like earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes that cause suffering. These two are the results of sin being allowed into the world. One author and theologian explained it this way. When we humans told God to shove off, he partially honored our requests. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death now entered as a part of our human existence. Genesis 3.18 says it's because of sin that nature was corrupted and thorns and thistles entered into the world. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that up to the present time, all of creation groans with pain like the pain of childbirth. So nature longs for redemption to come, for Jesus to come and set all things right. That is the source of disorder and chaos in our world. So I want to make this crystal clear. God did not create evil and suffering and death. Now it's true that he did create the potential for evil to enter into the world because that was the only way to create the potential for genuine goodness and love. But it was human beings in our free will who brought the potential of evil into reality. Some people might ask, couldn't God have foreseen all of this? No doubt he did. But look at it this way. Many of you are parents. Even before you had children, couldn't you foresee that there was a real possibility that they may suffer disappointment or pain or heartache in life, that they might even hurt you or walk away from you? The answer is, of course. But you still had kids. Why? Because you knew there was also the potential for tremendous joy and deep love and great meaning. And it's the same with God. He knew we'd rebel against him, but he also knew many people would choose to follow him and to spend eternity with him and that it was all worth it for that, even though it would cost his own son great pain to achieve their redemption. So first it helps to remember as I think about the mystery of pain and evil that God did not create them. The second thing is this. Though suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. There are several ways he does this, and I'll mention a few of them. First, God uses pain to draw people toward Jesus. There's a philosopher by the name of Peter Kreft, and he said it this way. The meaning and purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. Only suffering only after disaster does Israel, do nations, do individuals turn back to God. Suffering brings repentance. We learn the hard way, as C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts 
in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know that's true. When we're happy, when we're trouble-free, how often do we forget God? Oftentimes, it's when we suffer, when we experience heartache, when we experience loss or disappointment that we're more likely to turn to him. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. We should never regret his sending it. Why shouldn't we regret it? Because this is how God attracts us towards the greatest joy in life. Because in an intimate relationship with him, he draws us closer to himself through suffering. And the truth is, is that it's worth any price if it means getting to know Jesus personally. Second, God uses pain to sharpen our character, to help his children become more like Christ. Romans 5.3 says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. You ever heard that saying? No pain, no gain. Pain is necessary, and it improves our character. Our wisdom usually comes through a process involving sacrifice, difficulty, trials, or even pain. We learn our greatest lessons through some of those difficult moments. We mature. We grow. There could be no such thing as courage in this world if there wasn't risk. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 5.8. But even though he was God's son, he learned to be obedient by means of his sufferings. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, then why would that be any less true of any one of us? Third, the Bible says God uses pain to lovingly discipline his children for their own good so that we might know the right path to take. See, discipline is not punishment. Punishment is retribution for the misdeeds of the past. Discipline is the loving way that we correct someone's behavior so that their future will be better for them. In other words, the worst thing that you could do as a parent would be not to correct your child when he or she is strained. So you use something that you might not particularly like. Discipline. To accomplish something you love, which is protecting your children from the harm that will result if they continue to rock in the wrong direction. But here's the problem when it comes to God. He has the big picture, and we don't. He can see the good that will result from the discipline he allows. But sometimes we can't see it when we're in the midst of it because we don't have his perspective. I'm going to give you an analogy real quick, right? You're walking through the woods. You come across a bear with his leg in a trap. You have compassion for the bear. You want to help him. But he's afraid of you and not cooperating. So you've got to shoot him with tranquilizers. The bear thinks that you're going to hurt and kill him. He can't understand why you would intentionally inflict harm that way then to get his leg out of the trap you first need to push it deeper into the trap to release the tension of the spring if that bear were still semi-conscious he would be even more convinced that you were out to hurt him but he would be wrong 
He could only see the situation from his limited perspective. And he looks at you and he wonders, why is he making me suffer? When we see things from our limited perspective, we wonder why God is allowing pain in our lives. When actually he's allowing it because he sees the big picture and knows it's the best thing that can happen to us. I love the way Joni Erickson Tata put it. She says this. She says, every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could have happened. We will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials he sent us here. This is not Disneyland. This is truth. Finally, fourth, God can accomplish something positive out of the negatives in life. He fulfills his promise of Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. In other words, God will take the bad circumstances that come upon us and good will emerge if we're committed to following him. The Old Testament gives us a great example of the story of Joseph who went through terrible suffering, being slowed into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. Finally, after several dozen years, he was put in a role of great authority where he could save the lives of many and the lives of his family. This is what he said to his brothers about his suffering in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And if you're committed to God, he promises that he can take whatever pain you're experiencing and draw good from it. If you doubt that, listen to this. God proved it by taking the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, the death of God on the cross, and he turned it into the very best thing that has happened in the history of the universe, the opening up of heaven for man. So if God can take the very worst and turn it into the very best he can take the negative aspects of your life and create something good from them so God didn't create evil but it entered into the world because of people like you and me and though suffering isn't good God can use it for his purposes and we've seen four ways that God does this the other thing is this there will come a day When suffering will cease and evil will be judged. A lot of times you hear people say, if God has the power to eradicate evil and suffering, why doesn't he do it? And the answer is that because he hasn't done it yet, doesn't mean that he won't do it. Criticizing God for not doing it yet is like reading half the book and then criticizing the author for not tying up the loose ends in the plot. In fact, the Bible says that the day will come when sickness and pain will be eradicated. And it says that the day will come when people will be held accountable for the evil that they have committed. So what's holding him up? One answer. Some of you are. God is actually delaying the consummation of all of history. The end of all things. In anticipation that some of you 
will still put your trust in him and spend eternity in heaven with him. He's delaying everything out of his love for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. To me, that's evidence of a loving God, that he would care that much for you. And here's the last point. We get a chance we get a chance to decide whether to turn bitter or to turn to God for peace and courage in times of suffering. We've all seen examples of how the same suffering that causes one person to turn bitter, to reject God, to become hard and angry in their heart can cause another person to turn to God, to become more gentle, more loving, and more tender, willing to reach out to compassionately help other people who are in pain. Some folks lose a child to a drunk driver and they turn inward in chronic rage and never-ending despair. While another turns to help others by founding Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. One philosopher stated it this way. He says, I believe all suffering is at least potential good, an opportunity for good. It's up to our free choice to actualize that potential. Not all of us benefit from suffering and learn from it because that's up to us. It's up to our free will. We make the choice to either run away from God, or run to him. But if we run to him, look at what Jesus says in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. He offers us the two things we need when we're hurting. Peace to deal with our present, and courage to deal with our future. You see, God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. God's answer to suffering is the incarnation. You see, suffering is a personal problem. And suffering demands a personal response. And God isn't some distant, detached, disinterested God. He entered into our world. He clothed himself in our pain. See, Jesus is there. He's sitting beside us in the lowest places of our lives. So are you broken this morning? Well, he was broken for us. Are you despised? Well, he was despised and rejected of man. Do you cry out sometimes that you can't take it anymore? Well, he was a man of sorrows that was acquainted with grief. Did someone betray you? Well, he was sold out. Are your dearest relationships broken? He loved and was rejected. Have people turned away from you? They hid their faces from him as if he were a leper. So the question that we ask ourselves is this. Does God descend into all our levels of hell in this life? All our levels of suffering? Yes, he does. From the depths of a Nazi death camp, Corrie ten Boom 
wrote these words. No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. Every tear we shed becomes his tear. One theologian said it this way. It's not just that God knows and sympathizes with you in your troubles as any close friend might do. For he is much closer than the closest friend if you've put your trust in him. He is in you and therefore your sufferings are his sufferings. Your sorrow is his sorrow. And when you make the choice to run into his arms instead of bitterness and chronic anger, you'll find peace and courage and love and hope and eternal life in him. The Bible teaches us that God is a father to the orphan. He is a husband to the widow. The Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So does that describe you? You have a choice to make this morning. Do you turn bitter or do you turn to God and find the peace and courage that you need to make it through? If you've never opened your life to Jesus, if you've never experienced him in moments of trial, if you're saying, Lord, I need more of you, I want to encourage you. Run back to the arms of Christ. He is enough for you.